De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today we're going to discuss the role of offline media and the future of marketing, focusing on marketing strategies for millennials. Joining us is Jacob Ross, who is the CEO at Pebble Post who is the world's leading digital-to-direct-mail marketing platform, helping hundreds of brands to reach consumers at home with timely, relevant mail that activates buying decisions and drives conversions everywhere. And today, Jacob and I are going to dig in and discuss the rise of offline digital channels. Okay, here's my conversation with Jacob Ross, the CEO at Pebble Post. Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's good to have you here, and I have to say this is a new topic to the podcast, so always very welcome. This idea of the rise of offline digital channels feels like something old is now something new on some level. So, Jacob, yeah. give me some examples of offline digital channels. <laughs> it's a good question. So the way I guess I think about it and the way we talk about it as a team is that over the last few decades, just as software is eating the world, software has also been eating marketing. And so we've been seeing that as time goes on, there have been these waves of digitalization of marketing. And it started with you know newspapers going online and suddenly print sales turned into digital display sales, which then got introduced to programmatic. And there was a bunch of, and by the way, if I say too many jargony words in here, please just give me the hook it's or something. It's a jargony podcast, Jacob. You're in good shape. Perfect. Oh, wonderful. I'm very happy then. And so we've seen these waves of digitalization in marketing, where marketing becomes digital, which follows consumer behavior as we all spend more and more time online in various on various screens and modalities. And as marketing has become digital, digital has transformed it into something more data-driven, more measurable, more targeted. And so from a marketer standpoint, there has been this really interesting evolution where each of the channels and the consumer touch points that we've been used to using to engage in dialogue and drive decisions and influence consumer behavior and things like that have kind of followed suit with this overall evolution. And so when I think about, uh, you know, traditional digital channels, or you, you had a really nice phrase for it, that's what I think about is, is channels that we're used to interacting in an analog or in the physical world that have started to migrate online or have migrated online or are using digital principles and that's where some really interesting innovation has been happening in the space for a few years. Okay, really interesting. And, and I would say that I think we're so in it, and we, meaning revenue leaders, we've sort of forgotten some of the channels in the past that worked really well for us. And, and like the stats that come to mind for me is, and I, and I think it was 2018, 2019, but 
that was the point where digital overtook traditional, if you will, advertising in terms of gross market share. And a lot of the reasons that that happened was because so much of the benefit to online advertising was crystal clear. It was tangible, right? And in many cases, because it was more tangible, it was just easier for people to conceive, but also the ROI was a bit higher, right? And so what happens? We see this over time, Jacob. We see these big swings in the marketplace. And it does feel like we're getting to the point where that digital pendulum is at its apex and kind of swinging back over. Are you seeing that as well with your client base, with your customers are beginning to get to the point where digital has reached its apex in terms of at least kind of making its home with consumers? They're looking for something new. Is that part of the value prop for you? Absolutely. It's a great dynamic to unpack a bit. On the one hand, we see that there's definitely digital fatigue. I mean, certainly everybody felt it in 2020 and 2021. We're all online. We're all dialing into Zoom all day. We all mostly are still. But there was definitely a feeling of digital fatigue and, and this overwhelming feeling of instead of getting a few really interesting emails in my inbox, maybe I'm getting a few hundred or a few thousand that is that are impossible to wade through, for example, not, not picking on email marketing at all. But I think that consumers have sort of said, look, there's a lot I do in digital environments, but there's only so much my brain can absorb. So marketers have sort of tried to accommodate that to say, okay, well, let's make sure that we reach people where they're actually in the right mindset and paying attention and receptive to a dialogue with the brand or what have you. So I think that's one big pillar is kind of the consumer behavior that drives the pendulum swing, as you said, back to sort of some more traditional channels. The other thing is, there's a lot that digital marketing gets right. And just as you said, it's highly targeted, the measurability is there, it's incredibly quick to get results. And brands, a lot of our brands have built their entire businesses on purely digital marketing strategies, which is awesome. I think the challenge is that there are some real strengths of digital, and then there are also some challenges in digital. Fraud has been a perennial problem, and it's something that's hard to quantify, but we know it's out there. We talked about consumer fatigue. I think the other challenge is that the current privacy and regulatory environment means that we have to be really, really careful and thoughtful about how we market to consumers in digital environments and take data privacy very seriously. That can be one of the challenges in digital. And then because of some of the privacy changes as a result of that with iOS and other things, I'm sure that's come up on the podcast in the past, we're seeing that there's an actual very clear challenge that brands are having, especially this year that they haven't had before, where they're struggling to get reach, they're struggling to see performance. They're not sure if the way that their marketing is being measured in digital is as accurate as they need it to be because of some of those challenges. So there has been a real hunger from a lot of marketing teams to diversify into channels that can still offer high impact, high reach, high scale, but that maybe that are tools that hadn't been leveraged before as much. Does that make sense? We're living in the post-cookie world. We're now having conversations about first-party data, right? In the past, we tended to shirk. And, you know, it makes sense. And I have to say, there is this moment in time, I think, where traditional channels, and it's funny to say email's traditional channel, but traditional channels like email, but direct mail also are beginning to have a much higher impact than they have in the past. Partially, I think, Jacob, to your point, because of digital fatigue. So 
Give me an example of an offline digital channel that marketers too frequently ignore and should begin embracing. Well, obviously I'm biased because I run a company that does digital to direct mail, or as we call it, programmatic direct mail, to try to link those two worlds together. And so it's kind of what we were talking about before. You know, how our business works is we take we take the best of the digital capabilities and combine them with the best of sort of physical media capabilities and bring those two things together to create an advertising channel, which we think of as a new channel for brands to engage with consumers at home with highly relevant messaging. So think about it this way. Wherever you are in the United States, you probably get a sealed envelope more than once a month, usually more than more than more than once a day from your cable or telecom company that's trying to upsell you to a new sort of cable package. Are you interested in that? Maybe. But oftentimes it's just more efficient for a marketer to just send out that mail. And so what you end up with is lots and lots of mail volume and low relevance, which means low responsiveness. And it's given rise in the 90s to the term junk mail which obviously, you know, no marketer wants to be associated with. But that's the challenge of this incredibly powerful, I think direct mail is a $40 billion advertising channel today. And it's not going anywhere. One of the most sophisticated channels, it's the God, you know, the godparent of digital in many ways. But there are some real challenges with it. You have uh, very long lead times to create campaigns, weeks or months sometimes before you can launch a campaign. Oftentimes, fractured and siloed in terms of who does what, the modeling team, the mail production team, et cetera. It's thought of as an efficiency play. So a lot of times it's a very procurement-led conversation as opposed to a strategy and growth-driven conversation. So we came at it from a totally different angle. We said, said, we're not here to make direct mail a little bit better. We're here to reinvent this channel using digital principles. So what we do is without trying to do a sales pitch, which I don't, I definitely don't want to do. Uh, we use online consumer behavior. So intent, what consumers are actually showing interest in. And we use that to figure out who the most valuable consumer is to send a piece of mail to. And we use our platform to do that in a totally automated way for our brands every single day. So in the same way that digital advertising is largely automated, algorithmically driven, and highly efficient and effective, we do the same thing. So our mail engine basically creates a feed on a daily basis that sends out mail every single day based on this data and decisioning platform that we built that's all based on behavioral intent that's shown online. And so in a, in a way, to sort of generalize it, we are doing for direct mail what CTV, which I believe is you know around a ten billion dollar channel now, that's those my data points, but they're always you know asterisk next to it. That's the latest I have. So we we're doing for direct mail what CTV has done for linear television, what streaming has done for radio, what you know what programmatic display has done for print sales, if if you will. And so that's how we think about it: is adding digital capabilities and building a digital first platform that crosses over from the digital into the physical world and reaches consumers where they are. Well, incredibly clever. And really at the end of the day, it, it is a digital platform that you guys are putting out there for your clients in the sense that you are taking advantage of this giant digital footprint that consumers create. You're taking advantage of that, right? You're saying effectively, who has the highest intent and therefore most, most likely to respond to a message? And guess what? One of the ways they might respond is by getting a piece of direct mail. 
And it sounds like something that's always on. And so talk about results here. Talk about, we've got a lot of marketers and salespeople listening going, great. I actually haven't heard of this one before. What type of results are clients typically getting when they go to this approach? Yeah. So the three things that contribute to the results, just so that but when I, when I share them, people don't just turn off the podcast in disbelief, are we use real-time intent from a bunch of shared first-party data that comprises our Pebble Post graph. It connects intent with postal address with transactions. So that's a data asset. It's all data-driven. We start from the data. It's first-party data. Then the second dynamic is we're reaching consumers at home, and we love the home. The home is the place where more and more we're all doing research, making decisions. It's our command center as human beings. And so this ability to reach consumers at home, not only reach them, but give them the choice to walk a marketing message from their mailbox over their threshold into their living room, that's a powerful thing. And so it it creates this nice relevance and dialogue. And then third is physical media is highly impactful. We generally see that a piece of mail sits on your dining room table or on your fridge for 17 days on average. So that affects and creates a good environment for making the right decision for a consumer. And so there's a, a real chance to, to, to benefit. So usually every marketer we work with is measuring results on a ROAS or CPA basis to directly answer your question about performance. We see that from that standpoint, results are very, very strong. So anywhere from, we say, 5 to 50x return on ad spend, but it really depends on the brand. Sometimes it's much higher, and sometimes it's, you know, it really depends on the brand and the offer. And then for every every brand that we work with, because if you go to a marketing team that hasn't worked in programmatic direct mail, and you say, you know, we have this amazing performance, uh, they say, well, hang on, wouldn't my consumer have purchased anyway? Wouldn't my customer prospect have purchased anyway? So we are strong, strong believers in incrementality as a attribution methodology. I think, I don't know if attribution, I think there's a new term that people are using called contribution analytics or something like that. Anyway, we we believe in incrementality. So we run a holdout group, everything's on a one-to-one unique address basis. And so we can see of the people that we mailed versus the folks that we didn't, what the difference of performance is. And if brands don't want to hear it from us, we partner with Measured and Rockerbox and other attribution or measurement companies so that brands can see it themselves. We believe strongly in attribution. We believe strongly in, in very strong performance measurement to guide marketing strategies. So Jacob, that makes a lot of sense. I, I understand that the B2C market would generally find this to be an appealing service and therefore adopt it much more quickly. But I think what I'm looking for is, would you recommend that B2B marketers think about this? Because we have a similar amount of noise. The difference for, between B2C and B2B for me, frankly, at the end of the day, is that for B2C, the idea of success is much more tangible and immediate, whereas B2B, you've got just a much more extended sales cycle, right? So you've got a different way of kind of measuring success. But I have to say the core problem remains the same between B2C and B2B, which is kind of digital exhaustion, if you will, saturation of digital channels, people ignoring the channels overall. So would you recommend B2B marketers tackle something like this or take a look at it? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think when you when you think about the dynamics of these sort of offline digital channels, the question generally comes back to where does this fit in my marketing mix? And what we've seen in digital is that for the most part, this is generalization, but for the most part, 
most of the conversions or activities happen very quickly. So there's always that kind of spike in the first 48 hours of a campaign from a consumer standpoint, where after ad exposure and digital, at, a, at around the 48 hour mark, things start to really drop off. So really powerful for very short recency windows. Now for us, that's fantastic because that means fastest we can get piece of programmatic direct mail out to a consumer is still incredibly fast, but it's 12 hours after intent or interest is registered by our algorithm. So within 12 hours, we get a piece of mail out to you. And it takes the postal service a few days to deliver it to home. Everything is mailed out first class. But that means that once digital, you know, as digital is dropping off, you have this offline digital channel that's starting to make a big impact and make an impression on a consumer, which is exactly what I think you're asking around the decision cycles for a lot of B2B solutions is that it's long and and the decisions are complex. These are not you know $30 purchases. These are tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases. And so high value products or services and longer consideration cycles, it's a fantastic use case for offline digital channels like us or uh, like CTV, where you really need to make a big impact or, you know, we're streaming, et cetera. So there is, I think, a really, really nice use case there, especially since in the past, the thought was, well, I want to market to Verizon and the procurement team or the marketing team is at a Verizon office. How do I get a marketing message to them there? And now it's not necessarily the case. Oftentimes, as long as you do it in a respectful way, and respect is a big tenet, I think, of has to be of offline digital channels, then you can actually make a really big impact that's respectful and relevant to a potential customer. Yeah. And you, you nailed something out of the gate, uh, Jacob, that is always troublesome for marketers generally, but especially for B2B marketers, which is I can stand up a digital campaign sometimes in hours, right? Getting a direct mail campaign, even though we know the response rate is high, and even though we, we know it's highly beneficial, getting those campaigns up and running sometimes are weeks, right? So if you have been able to address that challenge at Pebble Post, then my gosh, it's something I think we need to stand up and pay attention to as B2B marketers. Jacob, I really enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it as well. Awesome. Okay. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Jacob Ross, CEO at Pebble Post for joining us in part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow. Jacob and I are going to dig in and talk about marketing strategies for millennial consumers. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Jacob, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Jacob Ross or visit his company website at pebblepost.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to the podcast, head over to revgenpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. And we'll be back in your feed in the next business day, okay? That's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.